touch your teeth dead And it shows them pearly white Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe And it keeps it out of sight You know when that shark bite with his teeth, babe Scarlet billows start to spread Fancy gloves, though, where's old Maggie Heath, babe Welcome back to The Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here by our host and star of this show, Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer, the Hall of Famer. This is Coaching Kernan, episode 470 on the network. Today we've got a great guest for you, packed week, 12 shows this week, including Hall of Famer Paul Molitor later on in the week. Um, but before we bring you Kevin and our special guest today, just want to alert our audience to uh, make sure you stay up to beat with what we're up to. If you go to Millions now, go to Book Me. Advertisers, marketers, you can go under the book me option and you can put a proposal in for advertisement and we'll take a look at that and, and we'll listen to all proposals. We appreciate that. You can also bring our guests and our hosts out to speaking engagements. So that option is under the book me tab. If you go to shop, you can look at all our new merchandise, hoodies, hats, t-shirts, and experiences where you can ask one of our guests a special baseball question or a vocation question. They'll get back to you in 48 hours by email video. Uh, I want to thank Jaw Bats the newest Major League Baseball certified bat. Maple is their specialty. Use RVG at checkout. You'll get a special discount on us. Also, the Kinetic Arm, uh, the newest, most innovative, patented, five patents, mind you, way to where we think it's going to fix or at least help fix the rash of arm injuries in, in professional baseball and youth baseball. Overload stress externally, prevents arm lag, multi-joint dynamic stabilizer, and it aids in deceleration. So if you use RVG DAG at, cap, at checkout, Capital D, small A, small G, RBG DAG, you'll get a discount there. Also want to thank special help from one-on-one -on -one College Pathway Program for kids on scholarships. They've helped kids to $540 million in scholarships over the last four years, over 700 kids. And also Monet Hair Products. They're moving forward with us now. They said they can help us all cure hat head. Some of our hosts said they need some hair to cure that with, but we, I don't know if they can help with that. But uh, we'll certainly pay attention to Monet Hair Products. And with that, uh, bring on our host, the Hall of Famer, Kevin Kernan. Kevin, welcome back to your show. Great article this week. Very unique individual you wrote about. Everybody, everybody has a different take on, on him, and they're all, they all make wonderful stories, and you seem to capture all of it in one piece. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I wrote a, it's called Northwoods Law, like the uh, TV show, but it's on the Northwoods League, and uh, a gentleman named Mark Wiedemeyer, also known as Weedy by his, uh, his buddies. Uh, fascinating guy. It's, it's a you know, this 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 one was a special article. I, I would say this one was one of my best. Uh, um, uh, I say that sometimes uh, more often than I should, but it, it's true. Uh, you know, people aren't people aren't just writing about people anymore. And uh, so I, I tracked uh, Mark down. Forty years of experience in the game. Uh, worked with some some great organizations, great people. You know, you're talking uh, just a great scout. Um, and loves it, loves the game. You know, Joe Torrey, Kirk Gibson, uh, Riggleman, Matt Williams, Joe Madden. He worked for Joe when Joe was, uh, before Joe became a manager out in the Angels organization. But uh, he's worked at every level, college, minors, majors, internationally. And if you do the international market, you got to have some, and our guests today, we'll talk about that later. You got to have some kind of really 
uh, love for the game because it's 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 a different world. It's a different, literally a different world. And he, I think he had 28 winners in Dominican. Uh, and again, this is a guy that worked for great teams. Uh, and sometimes you bounce around because uh, just the way you know the way the business is. But Dodgers, Reds, Diamondbacks, Yankees, Nationals, Angels, Cleveland. Forty, like I said, forty years uh, college college coach, and now he's managing in the North uh, Woods League, a college league that they tell me is just as good, if not better, than Cape Cod because they play more games. They play seventy-two games. They draw fans, and if you can get out there, if you're in that area, they have twenty-six teams. It's fascinating. I'm going to try to make it out there at all to somewhere out there. He's in North Dakota, Bismarck. There, they have three teams in North Dakota now to make the travel easier, but. This guy, uh, I mean, he's so much fun to talk to. And his wife is an accomplished author, author a former Marine officer. Uh, his, son, his son-in-law is Brian Bosworth, the Boz. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, I snuck that in there. But there was so much information in that article that it, you, people might have skipped over it. But the bottom line is he loves the game. His stories are phenomenal. And he really is, um, you know, like he says, you have to be a baseball player first, respect the game, learn the game, practice the game. And this goes for all the kids that listen. If you do concentrate at practice, you become good at it. Uh, you know, uh, I love this comment, too, and then we'll, we'll move on. But all the scouting reports uh, we have that talk about instinct, he said that's a bad term for baseball. I mean, my Labrador retrievers have instincts. They're born with that. You are not born with knowing how to run the bases. Somebody has to teach you right. 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 You know, somebody's got to teach you. Now, some people have better aptitude, but you still got to be taught. And um, if you look at the fundamental and he, he calls it like it is fundamentals and the majors now are brutal. I was just on the phone with a scout called me early this morning. Was telling me what he's seeing in spring training. I'll be heading down tomorrow to some spring training. So, yeah, read this article. Um, the oldest scouts were his teachers. He's going to teach these kids up in the Northwest League at for the Bismarck Larks. The right way to play the game, you know, respect the game. Winning is fun. He's going to make winning kind of like important, something we don't hear about anymore. We hear about, oh, my God, all the bullshit, um, you know, uh, process, uh, sustainability. I want to hear about winning. All right. So uh, great article. Um, and and he's he's got the energy of a uh, teenager. He's going to do a great job up there. We'll see if they can win because it's all about recruiting in those kind of leagues. And uh, it's, it's a fun article. It's something totally different. And again, that's what we do here. I mean, I, for example, and, and I love them, uh, you know, uh, you know, guys write different things. I was writing about Ichiro going to the Hall of Fame, you know, quite a while back. And now other people are finally picking up on that now that he's, a, 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 you know, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. So usually... I wouldn't say I'm ahead of the curve, but I always try to write interesting baseball stories and find them at ball9.com. Plus, the other great thing with this story is some great pictures in here. And, of course, he sent me a photo afterwards. Uh, he, he sent me some photos with his dogs and stuff, but he sent me a photo afterwards. I wish he had sent it to me before we, we printed the article, uh, posted the article. But it's him in, like, Mexico with an arm encampment of like uh you know f- five guys with submachine guns taking them to a game so uh we'll get into some of that later but that's 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 where i'm at with that and i'll let you introduce our guest yeah no, it was a great story and the northwoods leagues is a it's a top-notch league we've had six we've sent 16 kids there through our program in the last three years 
and it's it's phenomenal. I'm glad he's taking charge up there as well. well if you have any talent, any real talent, send them to Wiedemeyer. I'm, I'm going to know he's going to be on with Wiley and Will this Thursday, and um, certainly we'll talk to him about that because I'm of the same uh, persuasion that you are, and, and as he mentioned, winning and having fun should never be mutually exclusive. Exactly. <laughs> they, they happen together. So, you know, with, with the, the way you describe Weedy and it kind of plays into our guest today, and if you're looking for uh, our audience too, if you're looking to hear someone who's been at the highest levels uh, of professional baseball but also has in-depth experience on the international game and more recently the uh, the grassroots game as well has a, a unique perspective. You're going to hear names like A-Rod, David Ortiz, Hideki Matsui, Jose Contreras, El Duque uh, spent time in Seattle as a high-level scout in front office with the Yankees. He's got some great stories about Steinbrenner and the Atlanta Braves. And everywhere he goes, winning follows. It's funny, we were talking about winning. Three of the 40-40 guys, how unique that is, home runs and stolen bases, he signed three of them. A-Rod, Alfonso Soriano, and more recently, Ronald Acuna. Um, and I, I could go on and on about our guest today, but I'll let the stories speak for themselves today. With that, I want to introduce one of the great scouts and front office people in Major League Baseball history, Gordon Blakely. Gordon, wake, welcome to our show. Thanks. I, uh, I appreciate uh, you guys having me on. I thought that was I hadn't heard uh, Mark Wiedemeyer's name in a while, Kevin, and um, and we go way back. He uh, he left the Yankees as I joined the Yankees, but Weedy and and he's called Weedy because it just shortens his name. It wasn't yeah, it's a tough to name. Do, didn't have to do with anything else. I, I wanted kind of wanted to make that clear, but he um, he's one of the few guys in the game um, that can do both. He can do scouting and he can do player development, and that's mm. a rare feat. There's usually people that can just do the scouting part and people that can just do the development part. But Weedy has done a great job of seeing the, the whole picture. So I commend you on that article and thanks for having me on. Yeah. When, when, let me just interject real quick. Cause I forgot to mention it. And the key to the whole article is that 40 years experience. And you just heard what Gordon said about him. Can't get a job. Can't get a job in baseball because these people in baseball now don't want anybody that's not one of their club. So I'll leave it at that. And uh, back to you, Dave. Well, I, I wouldn't mind expounding upon that because that's that's part of the. I mean, our shows are all very authentic. Specifically, this show, where we what we say, we believe. Um, we believe there's a lot of good baseball men that are out there. And uh, and Gordon, this is too. Uh, uh, you know, I'm thinking you could you could have a great perspective on this. First question is, you know, you mentioned Weedy's unique uh, skill set. He can do two things. Um, that others can't do. Why is that so unique first? And second, why are people of that skill set not being coveted right now and cherished in, in professional baseball? Well, I think some of the people that are running the game, um, GMs, scouting directors, and that would be intimidated by uh, by Mark. There's a lot of uh, head nodding in the game, like I'm going to agree <laughs> with you. And, and I look back at our drafts in Seattle, and I remember vividly uh, arguing with the other scouts on who we were going to take. Um, there was no, hey, let's just go along with what Roger. In fact, there was a player, and I could tell that story to the cows come home, is there was a player on the East Coast I wanted really bad. Um, and he finally told me to sit down and shut up. We weren't going to take the guy. And it was, you can imagine what the Mariners have been if they'd taken Manny Ramirez. But um, – <laughs> I think, what, I think, what did you love about Manny? Just before we move on, I just wanted to hear. Well, first of all, you know, they gave, they gave, Roger said to me, hey, they gave Manny the ISOM test, which is a 
psychology test, and he got the worst score of anybody that's ever taken the test. He says, does that bother you? And I said, not, not really. I've watched him play. He can really play. And he, he says, can you find out? So I did. I called a guy, a scout named Joe Nigro, who was a New York Yankees, or not New York Yankees, who's lived in New York, who's a Seattle scout. Well, they gave the test, you know, Manny spoke Spanish. He didn't speak English. They gave him the test. They gave him the test in English. So, <laughs> uh, but I, I, you know, I ran into Roger years later and he said, man, if I had to listen to you and Bob Wadsworth on, on Manny Ramirez, do you realize our team would have been Manny in left, Griffey in center, Buner in right, Tino at first. Uh, I think it was Cora was at second. I think yeah. Harold Reynolds was gone then. Yeah. Alex, uh, Alex at, uh, I'm sorry, Vizquel at second. We could have moved Vizquel to second. Alex at short and Edgar Martinez at third. And Randy Johnson was on the hill. Uh, not bad. I don't. I, I lost track, but that's probably six or seven Hall of Famers. Wow. Um, if you know, if, if those guys get in on the steroid deal, like Manny. So, yeah. Well, um, just again, one other point, real quick. But it made me think of it, and that's what's great about the show. We kind of we all think of what you know. We kind of think after we hear things. C.J. Stroud with the Texans. They, 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 he didn't go number one because he did terrible on the test that they gave him, supposedly. So so there's a difference between test and real life, and there's other functions. And uh, and like you say, if Manny uh, – you know, I know I know talking to scouts from New York way back when what it was like to watch Manny in New York in high school. So that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's great scouting, and it's too bad. Uh, at, least, uh, at least they understood what they missed. Exactly. You know – um, you asked what I liked about Manny real quick was I went to the game and, and um, it was a Friday and he had been kicked off his high school team. I have no idea why. Um, so we waited Saturday to watch him play in the, uh, I think the, the park was called the parade grounds. Yeah, he played and for youth, youth services. He played for. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Mel, Mel Zinner, I think. Was yeah. Mel. Yeah. Mel was the guy who ran it. And, um, it was a hor- it was a horrible day. They had just put a, a fence up, and that night the the bandits came in and and took the fence down and stole it. <laughs> but Manny hit a ball. He hit a ball on the inside half of the plate, and he hit it out to right, and it went across the street, and it hit a building. Oh my gosh! And, and I remember telling Roger in the draft room, I said, "You wanted you told me you wanted the best hitter. You wanted to draft the best hitter. We picked twelve that year." Um, and he said, yeah, I do. And I go, well, he's the best hitter. He's better than any college guy. Um, we ended up taking Sean Estes, which, which was a good pick, but it wasn't, it wasn't Manny. Great story. Yeah. Gordon, would, would you, you mentioned about Weedy having that special skill set? where's the disconnect between guys that can scout and guys that can develop. And then where are we at now? Because it, it, with the reduction of the minor league systems, the reduction of the draft, it seems like, development is uh, not even a part of the picture anymore. Well, development is now being done by the colleges. That, that's where the development yep. is, yep. is happening. It's turned into a college draft, to be honest with you. There's, you know, a select few of really good high school players that are taken in the first couple rounds or taken a little later and, and paid over money. So the development part of the game is being done by the colleges. Um, you can say what you want. I think, I think there's a lot of good college programs. However, <clears throat> development continues in the major leagues. Um, the Braves were notorious for that because they took young players. They took it seemed like they always took a young player every year, and then they'd help him develop in the big leagues. Um, I always felt like the Yankees struggled to do that. 
Um, we got Robbie Cano. They didn't want to play Robbie Cano when we first got him. We got Alfonso Soriano, and he sat on the bench the first month while they played um, Bellinger in left field until George finally stepped in and said, hey, my guys down here in Tampa want to want you to play Alfonso Soriano in the rest history at 40 home runs or, or something. Um, so there's a development that goes on in the big leagues as well. It just baseball just doesn't do a good job of it. I, I do think that people get – People want everybody to agree on something. And I think the best organizations are the ones that get a variety of people, um, people that see things through scouts' eyes but yet can develop. And I think a lot of clubs are afraid of that. I and mean, they're afraid of, of being called out when something doesn't work. And, and a lot of times this metric stuff, and, and, and I'm all for incorporating metrics into scouting and development, more so into development. Um, but going forward, they uh, <clears throat> they don't want to be held accountable when the metrics don't add up, and a lot of times the metrics don't add up. Yeah, and you, you mentioned those in those in house discussions about players. I like the one with Manny. Jump forward for me, because um, because you shared a, a nice story with me regarding uh, a George Steinbrenner, Stick Michael encounter when you first came to the Yankees, uh, and I think that was a Tino story. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really my first meeting with George. Um, I had worked for him for a year and he had, he had just got done firing, uh, my boss, Bill Livesey and, uh, about 70 player development and scouting guys. It basically was a, a wipeout. Um, anyway, he, <clears throat> the scouting director was Lynn Garrett. He called me and said, Hey, can you fly into uh, Tampa? We want to talk, we want to talk to you. And I thought they were going to fire me. And I said, Hey, you can fire me from phone here. And he said, no, 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 we want to talk to him. So I flew in, uh, walked into a, a conference room and there was, um, uh, Bob Watson was a GM. Uh, Brian Cashman was the assistant. Mark Newman was in charge of player development scouting. Billy Connors, who was a close friend of George and a pitching coordinator and stick Michael. And as we discussed the Tino trade, we moved to, uh, Jeff Nelson. Now George didn't really even know who I was outside that I worked for him. And <clears throat> stick right away said, yeah, I really like to get Nelson. I think he could be our closer. And George interrupted him and said, Hey, I want Gordon's from Seattle. He knows these guys. Let me, Gordon, tell me what you think. And I said, I have to be honest with you. I don't think he's a closer. I think he could be an all-star setup guy, pitch the eighth inning, get the tough right-hand hitters out. And, um, you know, I don't know if those days exist anymore, but that was George getting a variety of opinions, even from a new guy on the block. And don't get me wrong, Stick Michael did a lot of wonderful things for the Yankees. He and I just disagreed. I, I always thought it, it was important to agree to disagree uh, if you're going to do a good job with baseball. And where, where did uh, – what about the discussion with Tino? Was that that conversation, am I thinking, the same one? Yeah, it was. I mean, <clears throat> the, the, trade, the trade that was on the board was Russell Davis – and Sterling Hitchcock for um, ended up being Tino Martinez, Jeff Nelson, and Jim Messier. Um, you know, I think George knew who Tino was based on the fact he was a Tampa boy. George lived in Tampa. He probably read a lot about Tino. Um, Tino had 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 come up in the Seattle Orgs and starting to play uh, pretty well. I don't know if Tino was getting to a contract situation where the Mariners didn't feel they could afford him. I think they misevaluated him. Uh, George asked me what I thought Tino would do. I said, 
personally, once he's comfortable, I think he'll hit 40 home runs. He'll drive in 120 runs. He'll be a team leader. You know, Jeter was the captain, but Tino was the enforcer in the clubhouse. Nobody, nobody messed with Tino. Mm. Um, and, and as it was, George went with, you know, and I know Stick really liked Tino. They've done a heavy, heavy job on his makeup and, and it ended up being a great trade for us. I'm not so sure it was a great trade for the Mariners, but it was an awfully good one for us. Well, the, the good trade may have been getting you from the Mariners, right? Cause you can't write from the Mariners. I got to tell, tell you a good story. So we, we were doing a deal with San Diego and I can't remember if it was a Rabu or, or what, because, uh, uh, but anyway, we had a guy in the minor leagues named Bob Blakely. And so we put him in the trade to um, San Diego in the, and I believe it was a Rabu deal. And um, George came in and he says, Hey, did we get that? Did we get that trade done? And uh, Brian says, yeah, we got, we got the deal done. He says, Oh, who'd, who'd we send over? And he's, he mentioned Bob Blakely and he turned to me and he goes, I think we traded the wrong Blakely. <laughs> did you ever have any of those, uh, you know, George Steinbrenner and, and, and Kevin spent his career in New York. So he has great stories as well, but do you ever experience the wrath of Steinbrenner being fired? And rehired and fired and rehired. Yeah, I, I was. He fired me twice. Um, the first one he came in. I was running. Mark Newman had uh, had moved out of the office, and I was overseeing player development, and scouting, and and I was sitting at my desk, and my desk was kind of L shaped, and it was it butted against the wall, and he sat down right right in front of me, and um, he had a couple notes, and he started talking about this particular Latin player that I had signed. And he says, this guy's really lousy. He says, he's hitting 170. Uh, he's not very good. People tell me he's got bad makeup. We gave him a lot of money. You know, what What do you think? And I said, well, we're going to have to be patient. Probably moved him here to the States too quick. He probably should have played in the Dominican Summer League. And then he started with the stupid. You know, you're, this is really stupid. You're stupid. He probably <laughs> said stupid about six or seven times. And he says, what do you have to say for yourself? And I said... I'm stupid. And he, he goes, Oh, fuck you. And, and he says, you're fired. And he pointed at me and he goes, you're fired. So I got up, grabbed my briefcase, started around that L shaped desk. And as I looked up, he was coming from the other side. So I'm thinking is, Oh my goodness, this is going to be on ESPN. I get in a fight with, you know, with George, you know, the, the most uh, prominent owner in the game and, and so we both stop at each other and he said, I'm having a bad day. And I said, I am, I am too. I just got fired. He goes, you're not fired. He goes, you know, my wife, he goes, we've been battling. He goes, you're not fired. Let's just, let's go have lunch. Come on. And that was, so that was the first firing. The second firing is when is was again, it was, was not too much later. And um, he was upset with me. Uh, because the minor leagues weren't winning. And I, I pushed a lot of young players. We took 17 Latin guys to go play in the Midwest League, and they were they were underperforming win-wise, but they were – it was Cano, Milky Cabrera, and those guys that ended up playing in the big leagues. Um, but he was upset. He sent his son-in-law over, and um, his son-in-law <clears throat> said, hey, you know, George wants to move you out of this position. I said, yeah, I, I don't think we get along too well on this. He wants to win every game in the minor leagues. And I want to get guys ready to win in New York. 
He says, well, you know, he wants you to resign. I said, well, I got three years left on a contract and you know, it's a pretty lucrative contract. Hmm. And he says, yeah, we can, we can work through that. And I said, well, I'll take 80 cents on the dollar. And he says, well, let me make a phone call. And he got back. He says, yeah, you got a deal. So I, I left, I got a phone call that night and it was George and he never called you at your house, never called me at the house. And he says, Hey, you know, I, I want to talk to you about what went on. I said, no boss, I'm fine. I'm good. I said, I'd love to working for you. I, I said, I, you know, I'll move on. And well, you're not moving. I said, what, what do you mean? I'm not moving. He goes, I'm not doing that 80% on the dollar. <laughs> he says, you, you know, all our secrets. And I said, what, what do you mean? The, the secret where you take that big bag of money and you pound somebody over the head till they accept it. That secret. <laughs> he laughed. He says, no, I want you to stay with the club. People like you here. You, you can help us. He says, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I'd like, I'd like to do what Stick Michael's doing. And so he says, well, what's he doing? And I said, boss, he's been working for you for how long? You don't know what he's doing? He goes, well, I know, he, you know, I confide in him on meetings and, you know, he helps me with what we want to do and build in the club. And I said, well, that's what I want to do. I said, on top of that, I'll scout for you and I'll help Donnie. Well, it was Lynn Garrett at the time in Latin America. I'll help Lynn Garrett, you know, uh, figure out the right guys to sign in Latin America. And he said, well, he goes, I like that. that that's good. He goes, now, what are you making? <laughs> and I told him what, what I was making. And he said, ah, we're, we're going to fix that. And he gave me 50, I think it was 50 grand a year, uh, change in salary for the next three years. So that was, that was my two firings. One week we ended up going to lunch. And the second one was, I even got a better job with more money. So. You got a raise. I like that. You can't raise. beat that. You can't beat that. No. Yeah. Well, Kevin, I, I, you know, Kevin, you know, being in New York, how unique he was. He, he was I, quite a character. Well, I remember one time in the, uh, and again, I don't have the same kind of relationship with, you know, ours is from a distance. And, uh, but I remember one time I was waiting downstairs in the old Yankee stadium where you used to enter in the, not by the press gate, but by that room there. And George had rushed in, and he was getting a soda out of the soda machine, and the uh, it ate his money. And uh, <laughs> he went ballistic, you know, you, you've seen it. And uh, and there were two guys working in that room. I was talking to both of them, because that's, that's what you do, you know. You, you talk to the people who work for the people, and that's how you find and, – and he rushes, he, he leaves, he goes, by the time I come back from lunch, if that machine's not gone, you're both fired. <laughs> and uh, and both, next thing I know, those guys, you know, they're, they're hiring a truck or they're getting a truck and they're bringing the machine out and they, they got it out by the time he came back. So that's, uh, he, that's George. He probably would have went in a different way and wouldn't, have, wouldn't even done anything, but that's, that's what he did. He, he reacted to the moment. And when the moment was over, if you played your cards right like you did, you wind up with either lunch or a big raise, so that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I, I saw him angry a few times. I I was I was thinking the other day about some of his stuff, and he really had a problem with phones. He hated phones. <laughs> yeah, he did. He, did. he hated yeah. phones. He couldn't get them to work. And I remembered riding in the and he had a um, he had a BMW a seven series, a blue one. It was a really nice car. I was riding in the back, and he I don't know who it was his security guy was. Yeah. And he was sitting there and he couldn't get the phone to work. So he rolls down the window and, and we're going down 75, probably going to a spring training game. And he just, he just looks at me and he goes, watch this. And he just <laughs> takes the phone and flings it, you know, across the, across the highway and just rolls up the window. 
Then there was a time he he couldn't get it to work, and we were pulling into that, you know, where the minor league office Kevin was yep. in the complex. He's pulling there. He's got his spot. He pulls in there. He hadn't been able to get the phone. He, walk, he, he walks up. He has – I think the guy's name was John. It was this uh, security guy. guy. The Filipino guy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And he um, – he says, uh, he says, hang on a minute. And he places his phone behind the back tire. And then he motions him to back up and crush the phone. <laughs> oh, gosh. It, just, it was like a Seinfeld episode, you know? Yeah, it, it really was. He used to ask me, if, speaking of Seinfeld, he said, hey, do you watch that when they have, 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 have me on there? And <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, he said, what do you think? I said, they make you look like an idiot. You really, you really like the way you look on that, on that deal. He goes, really? You, you think I do? I go, yeah. They got you blabbing all the time. You don't do that. You just fire people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's great stuff. Go ahead, Dave. Uh, touch on, you, you mentioned international. We've, we've kind of walked around international signings. You've had some great ones. El Duque, Contreras, Matsui. Um, give us, give us some nuances of, how you became so prominent in that, that level of baseball and, and how, how can baseball make it better? Well, you know, the, the, the great thing about George is that he had money and he wasn't afraid to spend money, take a chance on players. Now, if they bombed, he was, you know, he was in your face, but, um, most of it is preparation. Um, I mean, I've told people before, they said, you know, Matsui, how many times you see Matsui? I said, oh my gosh, maybe 40 times live and 40 times on video. Um, El Duque was, um, <clears throat> I first saw El Duque when I was a Mariner and we had guys like Dan Jennings, Bob Wadsworth, Ronnie Hopkins, Benny Looper, Roger Youngward were all scouts. And, and what we did was anytime a Cuban team came out of the country, whether it was in the U.S., came out of Cuba, it was whether it was in the U.S. or Japan or Taiwan or Europe, we sent a scout there to watch them. So when I came over to the Yankees, I brought my folder over. This is, you know, obviously pre-computer days. I brought my folder with me, and I had five or six, besides myself, reports on El Duque. So I knew <clears throat> I knew what kind of player he was, and I, and I had enough confidence that somebody like Dan Jennings had told me, hey, this guy can really pitch. It's I remember Dan saying, you, you can throw the radar gun away, you know, that type of thing. So <clears throat> when we went to sign him, it, was, it was, wasn't it was a question of uh, what he could do. It was a question of, was he healthy? Because he had been suspended. Fidel had suspended him in Cuba. He had won 200 games in Cuba in their pro league. So a lot of it, a lot of it was, you know, lucky, right place, right time. A lot of it was, it was having a nerve to sign a guy that said he was 28 when he's 32, um, he was only 88 to 90 on the gun, but I thought we had done our homework. Uh, we knew that we knew the guy and it's kind of funny cause we were talking about winning. El Duque was a winner. He, he won everywhere. Um, I think he, I think Pettit has a record for most postseason wins. And I think El Duque's right up there with, I don't know, 10 to 11 or something like that. I don't have that info in front of me, but so yeah, the international part was, was on the older players. Alfonso Soriano was was a really good story and sign. We uh, Don Namora was an agent. He asked me to go to uh, Japan to see a Dominican kid that was playing on the Hiroshima Carp minor league team. It was a pitcher named uh, Dela Cruz, and so I 
when I was over there, I was over there really to see Matsui, but um, I um, I took the bullet train as a favor to go down and see this minor league player. And he pitched and I liked him. But when I was there early and watching batting practice, there was this shortstop that they had passed out rosters and stats, even though there weren't any scouts there but me, um, to the fans that were there. It was a day game, like a one o'clock day game. And I noticed this this player and I saw how quick he was and that he had some pop. And <laughs> I looked at his numbers and he was hitting like 220 with no home runs. So I called Don and I said, hey, Don, I like your pitcher, but they had a shortstop there. Do you know him at all? Can you get him out of contract? Would they release him? Can you buy him to, you know, bring him to the States? He called me about a month later. He says, hey, the Fonzo Soriano kids is playing in a, I got him in a beer league playing in Southern California on the weekends. You want to come out and see him? And we ended up, we ended up signing him. We gave him a lot of money. Um, he was well worth it. I mean, he hit 400 home runs in the big leagues. Um, but I was, you know, right place, right time. I would say you can't, you can't really figure anybody out unless you're at a ball game. And so much of today is done. These guys that are scouting Latin America, they tell me they got to send all the video in. It goes up to the office and those guys all review, um, you know, the data. And then they make a determination on who they want to sign and blah, blah, blah. Teams to me that, that it's kind of backwards. I think being on the field, being around the, the coaches that are coaching them or the trainers, the Buscones, being around their parents, being able to talk to the kids, kind of see how they carry themselves. Um, See if they're winners. I mean, that that's kind of a thrown out the door. Uh, I heard the when I was in New York before I left, uh, <clears throat> Billy Epler, who's a GM at, at Anaheim and uh, and the Mads, said talked about he he didn't believe winning winning was that important uh, with a pitcher. And I was like, boy, we just we're going backwards. It's it's got to be important because that's why we're playing. We're playing to have fun. But if you're a big league player, you're playing to win. So I don't know why we wouldn't take a look at winning, but. No, I'm going to throw one, one, uh, well, it's two words, but uh, you can take it whatever way you want, good or bad. Showcase baseball. Um, good and bad. Um, <clears throat> I think it's for the elite kids. I think it's for the kids that are, that are really, really good, that are strong enough to be showcased. I don't think it's for the mediocre kids or the kids that need to, get bigger and stronger. Um, the part that helps is that there's exposure. The scouts go to them. Kids get exposed if they're from a small town that scout may not get into, especially the way scouting is today. Now, I was different when I had an area. I, I saw everything. I charted everybody. I had a, I had a stat on, on <clears throat> stat or a, a grade on, on everybody. I remember one time Bill Livesey called me. I was in Arizona and he said, Hey, there's a high school kid down in, down at the border in Nogales high school kid. It was a college kid. It was Cochise Junior College. He says, George wants you to see the guy. I said, I already saw him. Let me get my notes. So, you know, that that's how scouting used to be. So showcase, you know, if I had a kid and I had money and he was a good player, yeah, I'd, I'd, I would put him in a showcase. If my son was mediocre, he wasn't strong enough, he's 140 pounds, I would not put him on a, put him in a showcase because what happens in showcases and scouts are human too. It's that first impression. And if the first impression is the kid is not ready, not very good, not strong enough, that will sit with a the scout. They're human. So so it, 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 to me, it's good and bad. That's a good deal. Kevin, I'll pass it on to you. 
Yeah, I, a little bit more on El Duque because I remember this was years ago and the agent, uh, Jerry Capstein and his brother, Dan. Did you know those guys at all? Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about characters, right? It's yeah. a different era. Well, Stan somehow had a pretty good relationship with um, with George because he would he would bust George's chops and you know play along with him, but you know fake box all those kind of things that George loved to do. And uh, I forget what playoffs it was. You would know better, but they would. Dan had told him he said, "You got to start this guy uh, El Duque. He's got the biggest balls on the team." And Dan knew his news baseball and uh and of course El, El Duque went on and did very well there but my question to you is El Duque had big balls how do you measure that as a scout you know because that's just something that uh, you just see or like you know obviously you saw that in him Dan Tapston saw that in him and then you 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 pass the word to a guy like Steinbrenner who who finally pulls the trigger but how do you measure the you know the guts of someone something that I don't think is isn't done a lot these days. Yeah, no, no magic answer except you got to see it. Yeah, you got to you got to see him perform. You know, you can say whatever you want. Oh, he looks great on the mound, and blah blah blah. You got to see him perform. You got to see him perform under pressure. I mean, you know, Duque had he pit, he was an ace for the national team, Cuban national team. So he would come in and have to, you know, he would be the first guy out when they're playing the U.S. team, and these U.S. teams were good, and he won every time, and and. You know, he pitched in, he knocked you down. I mean, he was he was playing like, hey, if I don't win, <laughs> I'm going to go to jail when I go home. <laughs> so, exactly. And, and he pitched that way when he got in New York. He was totally unafraid. He was um, he was well prepared. I can tell you this because I, I watched him in advance meetings and he would ask questions. Very um, smart. Very smart. Yep. Yes. And he um, he even asked me. Um, I was standing there in the advance meeting in Seattle on what year was that? Um, was when Seattle had that great team and we hooked up against them. Oh, okay. Clemens knocked down a rod um, in that series. And now Duque, he asked the advance guy, he says, is, is Ichiro similar to how the Jap- most Japanese players are? They don't like to be crowded. And El Duque said to me, he looked at me and he says, thank God I hit him. I said, well, I'm not going to tell you to hit anybody, but you pitch your game. He did. He hit. He hit Ichio right in the back, and um, and Ichio had a had a rough series. As did as did A Rod when Clemens dusted him off on an O2 pitch. So, yeah, yeah, I, you have to see it. I, you couldn't you couldn't just say, oh, he's you know he's a big game pitcher unless you you see them you see it. Period. Well, that's the beauty of going. You know, like you say, going showing up early, seeing things, and. Uh... The other guy that was interesting too was uh, Contreras. What was that like getting him? Him because it wasn't that uh, at the time. You know, tell me if I'm wrong here. Wasn't the Red Sox involved with that too? And it was a big yeah. That was that was a really that was a really good story, and it hasn't been told because it never really has been published. There was a Sports Illustrated writer that that kind of told the story in Joe Torre's book, and it really really wasn't accurate. Okay. Um, Contreras, Contreras went to uh, Nicaragua and we got wind and I sent immediately Carlos Rios, our Latin supervisor down there. And then I went to George and I said, the best, the best amateur pitcher in the world is just defective. It's Jose Contreras. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, what do you think? I said, we, sh- we need to sign him. We need, we need to get after him. 
He says, well, what are you doing here? Get down there. And I said, well, I'm going to go down there. I've already sent Carlos down there, but we can't talk to him and we can't make offers uh, to him until the commissioner gives us a date. And it was approaching Christmas time. And so I went down there. I spent about a week. It, it was it was a great move by Theo. He he had bought out, uh, Contreras was staying in a kind of a, I don't want to say podunk hotel, but a small hotel. The Red Sox bought out the whole hotel. So they limited access to anybody else. But Carlos had a good relationship with Jose. So every night we would meet with Jose and discuss the Yankees. And uh, he would come over to our hotel or we'd meet him at a, at a restaurant. And I don't think the Red Sox knew that was going on. And I kind of put it in his mind and said, you know, Jose, this is your, this is your chance for a payday. But you see what the Red Sox are doing? They're limited in your ability to talk to people. So they just they just want to be the only I kind of turned it on them. Yeah. I said they bought out the hotel, so they don't want you to be talking to us or the Mariners or or other clubs that are interested. And so as time got on, George George had a prior to me going down there, he had approved 32 million, four years, eight million, 32 million total package. I knew we were probably going to have to use that, even though it was really above the market. Um, we were going to have to use that. So everybody made an offer. The Mariners offered like 24. The Red Sox offered like 26. We offered like 26. So the agent, Jaime Torrey, says, we're going to have one more one more offer, and, and that, that'll be it. So I told Hosey that we wanted to go. Seattle bowed out. Um, I said, we want to go first, Hosey, and let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the whole thing I got. It's $32 million. Will you sign for $32 million? He says, yes. I said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You told me you want to be a Yankee. We're going to come in. We're going to make the offer. You're going to agree. You're not going to let the Red Sox come in. And no counter, yeah. Our counter. And he says, I want to be a Yankee. I want to do that. Well, his agent didn't know that. Miami didn't know that. So we went in. It was close to midnight because the – I think it was December the 20, 23rd, we were allowed to negotiate. So we went in at midnight, Red Sox and Theo had flown in uh, for the signing. He hadn't been there the whole time. So we went in, talked, 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 and then we made the offer and Hosey stood up and said, I, I want to sign. This is what I want. I want to be a Yankee. And his agent said, well, we got the Red Sox. We got to, we got to talk to the Red Sox. And Hosey said, nope. Nope, I'm not talking to him. Done deal. So I kind of flashed a kind of a phony contract to put a signature on it just to make it like For everybody sure, yeah. thought he had signed something. Yeah. And as we walked out, Theo was at the door of the, of the hotel room. And, and Carlos said to Theo, hey, you're a dime late, buddy. We got him signed. And Theo threw a fit. And that's the story where you hear where he tossed chairs and, you know, things were broken in the in the in the hotel. So that was that signing. But I made a phone call after midnight to Mark Newman, who was my supervisor at the time. And I said, Hey, we got Jose, we got Jose done and done. He says, Oh, that's great. Awesome. He goes, we need to probably need to tell Marty, the accountant. And um, so he said, um, I'll call Marty. So he called Marty. Marty calls me. And he said, I don't want to have to tell George. I don't, you know, George makes me nervous. So I said, well, give me George's cell. I'll call him. So I called him and I think I woke him up because he was kind of, I don't want to say he was delirious, but he kind of didn't even know who he was talking to. And I said, hey, boss, 
I know you probably were sleeping, but we got the big Cuban signed. He goes, wow, really? That's great. That's great. What did we give him? I said, well, what you authorized, four years at, at $8 million, $32 million total. He goes, I didn't authorize that. You got you to change that. It's three years, $8 million. It's 24. I go, no, that's not what you told me. He goes, well, you got to get in there and change it. It was like, I said, boss, he, he's a Yankee. Good night. And I hung up the phone. So I get a phone call the next morning. It's Lynn Garrett. He goes, man, what went on? He goes, the boss closed the offices, which he never did. And they're having a big party at Malio's. He's bought champagne and Crystal. Are you guys familiar with? Oh, champagne? yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, he had bought and he doesn't drink. And George doesn't drink. He bought bottles. There was, you know, it was a big to who. So that was a, that was a Contreras signing. Although he never, never pitched well for us. He never, never got his, I never, I feel like he never got comfortable with us. No. And we, we no. traded him. It ended up being a bad trade. Because he went to the White Sox and holy mackerel, he became their ace and they went they won the World Series in 05, 06. 05, I was there, yeah. 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 So but the, well he he yeah, he never really seemed comfortable for some reason with No, he didn't. Right. He and didn't. Just, just an addendum to that story. I, I knew Theo when he was assistant PR guy in San Diego, so I knew him very well. And I told him when he was assistant PR guy in San Diego that he'd be hired by he'd be a GM by the time he was thirty and Base I saw ahead of time, mainly because Lakino was mentoring him, taking him along. And I knew Larry Lakino always liked to have that. So Theo was his kid. So boom, boom, boom. So I had a good relationship with Theo. But I remember it, it soured. It soured because of, um, because of that signing. I remember being at the winter meetings and Theo was there with some of his boys. And I brought that up and... He went. He he went ballistic again, and from that point on, because I basically said, "Well, you know, the Yankees outsmarted you, and uh, and got it done." And um, we didn't talk for a while after that. So see that that rubbed Theo the wrong way for many years. Oh, I'm sure it did. to this day he doesn't talk to me. <laughs> he won't talk to me. <laughs> That's Theo. You know, That's very hey, you know what I you know what I worked for George, and I had tremendous loyalty to George, and um, and I was going to do what was ever best for the Yankees, because they were, they were paying my paycheck. And I've discussed it before. So many of these scouts now today, they all get together and discuss things. And, and, uh, you know, if somebody's paying me, that's who I work for. And I, my loyalty is to them. Period. It's it's that simple. And uh, a couple more and we'll let you go. It's just, it's great baseball talk and great stories. And got to ask about Cano. You know, I always thought Cano was just, geez, so smooth. Uh, What were your initial impressions on uh, Cano? Well, you know, I went, uh, <clears throat> I went down there and they, they had uh, a couple of the, our Latin guys had, had seen him and knew him. And of course his dad was an ex pro. Yep. And um, so they brought me, they, when I went down there, they brought him into camp and um, he had a really good swing. He didn't have any power. I tell this to this day. I said, guy, when you're scouting them young guys, don't worry about power when they're young, but he could really catch the ball he could really throw and he did everything like he, it was 50%. And never, uh, never really had to push it. Never had, never had just made things look easy. And, and, you know, when you look, when you're at a big league game and you see the really good players, the stars, they look like they're not trying because it's so easy for them to run or throw or swing the bat. And Robbie did all those things. Now, Robbie wasn't a good runner. Um, 
And so we made him as we made him an offer, and his dad was he wasn't interested. He said, "Ah, no, I'm not. We're not signing for that." And I think it was maybe a hundred thousand, which was pretty good money at the time. And I told the scout, I said, "You follow him. You go wherever he goes. You follow him to camps. Don't let this guy." sign and, and and stay with the dad. And when the dad feels like he's ready to listen to more, because I think the dad said a million dollars. So we were so far apart. It, it didn't even make sense. But after about a month, the dad, the dad said to Rudy, um, Hey, I think I'm think I'm ready to sign. If you can give me a, a little more money, I'm ready to sign. So I flew down there immediately and we signed him. I, I want to say 125, 135,000. So I, I called, I called Mark Newman and told him we'd signed him. And he said, well, tell me about him. So I did. And he goes, ah, it doesn't sound like a guy you'd give that kind of money to. Well, let's get him up here. I want to see him. So he did. We t- brought him up to Tampa. And after one day, Mark called me. I hadn't gotten back up there yet. And he said, hey, I, I don't see what you're seeing. He says, this guy's going to have to go play in the Dominican Summer League. And I said, well, let's be patient. Let's see how it does. If he has to come back here and play, that's fine. So by the end of extended spring, I said, Mark, we got to get the we got to get the Cano kid back down to to get ready to play in the summer league. He goes, oh, he's not going back there. He's the best guy we got in extended spring. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, Robbie, Robbie was and, and Robbie's such a nice, nice young man. I mean, well, he's he's retired now, but I, I just liked him. He just always had a smile on his face. He loved playing. The game was easy for him. He he made turns at second base that I don't I don't know if I ever saw anybody make that play where he goes behind the base and he throws it and he's not even looking. I mean, I don't, how do you teach that? You got an arm like a shortstop. Yeah. Well he did. And, and I, and I thought initially that he might, he might play short. Of course we had a guy named Jeter there. So that yeah, kinda, he was pretty good. Yeah. He was not a bad player. <laughs> well, he reminded me, you know, I was at San Diego in 88 uh, covering the Padres. I covered the Padres for 10, you know, 10 years basically out there. And uh, I went out to Yuma spring training and I went to backfields and I saw Alomar before anybody knew really who Alomar was. And I Cano and Alomar, to me, were very similar in a lot of things, different ways they did it. But Robbie made everything look so easy. And uh, like you said, that's a great point. The great ones just make it look easy. You know, it's too bad that the steroid issue is involved in that because yep. when you, look at, you yep. look at his numbers, and his numbers are at the top of the class with home runs. and Same thing with Alex. I mean, you know. Yeah, right. Well, I think I think Alex will get in eventually. I don't think Robbie will. That's just my own. Yeah, that's my yeah. Own personal opinion. Al- Alex numbers are just you know they're freak numbers. You know they're freak numbers exactly. I mean, and I vote for the Hall of Fame. And I got to the point where I said I'm not on the wall anymore. I'm just if if baseball couldn't control the situation, how am I going to control it? And guys like uh, you know. Guys like Bud Seeley were in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, he was he was in charge then. So I started voting for for Alex, Clemens, Bonds, all those guys. And it made some people upset. But at that point, I just said, I don't care. I mean, you know, it's yeah. baseball screwed this up. Let them deal with it. And I, I agree with you. I um, I think eventually the dam will break and those guys will get in. And, and, and you know yourself, uh, Gordon, uh, that there's already guys in the Hall of Fame that, you know, done steroids. Oh yeah. Yeah. We just, we just don't know. We don't know. We don't know really, you know, who they are. I got, I got a quick, are, are we about ready to break off? Cause I got, I got, I know you, you had talked about Alan Trammell. Yeah. I was going to bring that up right now. You were teammates oh, okay. with him way back when, right? I got, yeah, I got some uh, interesting, interesting uh, things on Alan. First of all, 
when I signed in 76, I went to minicamp in the Happy League. Bill DeJoy was the scouting director. And a funny, funny thing about that is that Bill called me and signed me over the phone. They didn't have a scout that lived in California at the time. They only had five scouts nationwide that were doing amateur work, which I thought was unbelievable. And so I went down to, I went down and I went in and they had my contract ready. I signed it down there. We started working out and Bill showed up and he said, Hey, Gordon, can I talk to you a minute? He says, I'm trying to sign this shortstop in uh, Southern California and you probably played against him. And so he told me his name. I said, yeah, yeah, I did. I said, pretty good player can really catch the ball. Not, not, Great offensively, uh, pretty good runner, hit ninth in the lineup on his college team. And uh, I said, but that guy out there, and I pointed at Alan Trammell, who had just signed, I said, that guy's better than, than the guy you're talking about. Wow. So years later, I, I run into Bill DeJoy, and he says, you know, I can't believe you got a scouting job because you didn't talk me into signing Ozzy Smith. <laughs> so it was Ozzy Smith he was talking about that I said Trammell was – was better than Ozzy Smith. And Bill was giving me a bad time saying, how can you get a scouting job? So that was, that was, that was, that was, a, that's a good Trammell story. On top of that, um, excuse me, um, Trammell, Trammell's tools were really, really good. And, and I remember uh, uh, Donnie Rowland had recommended with the Yankees signing a kid out of Louisiana and he asked me if I saw the kid, and and I said yes. I said, "Does he remind you of Trammell? Remind me of Trammell?" And I said, "Well, first of all, his tools don't match up with with Trammell. He's an average runner. Allen ran sub four to first base when he was a kid. He had a seven arm and he had seven hands. The only thing Allen didn't have, which was similar to Cano, he didn't have the power yet. He was a really good hitter. He had two eighty in the Appy League as a seventeen year old. I mean, he skipped." He skipped both A balls, low and high, went right to double A, was MVP of double A, was in the big leagues. And I said to Donnie, I said that your comparison isn't even in the ballpark. That you gotta get we gotta get the tools right. Um, Allen had a bunch of sevens and and uh, and Allen was a special player with special makeup. And I kind of have a tie to all this when the, when Allen went into the Hall of Fame, I kind of I kind of got goosebumps because the three guys that went in were Allen, who I'd played with. Chipper Jones, who I'd sat in meetings with, with ownership and the GM when I was with the Braves. And then Trevor Hoffman, who I coached at Cypress College. So oh, wow. it was kind of a neat, uh, a neat deal where all three, three guys had gone in and I had, I had something to do with, with each one, just in a small way, but uh, kind of neat. So. And, and three of the nicest guys in baseball, right? Really, really. Yeah. Really, really. Yeah. Really good guys. I mean, Different. I mean, they're all different. But, all different. Yeah. 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 But, but I mean, true Hall of Famers. I mean, very special players. So, well, I remember hearing about Chipper from my brother, who was a local sports writer in Florida who covered him in high school sports. And, um, and, you know, once I got to meet Chipper, I always felt Chipper was the closest thing to Mickey Mantle in a lot of ways. Uh, and not that he was Mickey, of course, but he, you know, switch hitter, what he could do. And, um, and Trammell, nicest i remember my uh, we were living in san diego my wife uh she was with ibm at the time and uh, she some, i think something happened with ibm or something they moved out and so she got it just for she got a little part-time job at the local nursery and you know alan used to come by and buy flowers and and uh you know plants and he was like the nicest guy in the world too and of course trevor hoffman 
I covered Trevor when he came over from the trade. Um, and uh, what, what what was special about Trevor from uh, from a baseball standpoint that you saw and the, and the ability he had to adjust? Oh, Trevor's makeup was off the charts. Trevor was a shortstop at Cyprus. We didn't we show you how smart we were. We didn't pitch him. <laughs> he was a shortstop, uh, and he was a really good shortstop. He was draft. He went to U of A. had had two good years at U of A, or maybe one. I'm not sure, but he was drafted by the Reds as a shortstop. But uh, he had a really good arm, you know. And they obviously converted him. But Trevor's makeup was was uh, was off the charts. I mean, work 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 his work ethic was outstanding. And then he could compete. He was a really good competitor. And yeah, he was. He to be honest with you, he, when he was playing for us, he had leadership skills too. I mean, he was he was in charge of that club when we were at Cypress College, and it was a it was a good club. But I mean, he was he was in charge of that. Hey, real real quick, I'll tell you the importance. Everybody asked me the importance of scouting. So Bill LaJoy is a scouting director in '76. He's got five scouts, which isn't very many. They're going off the bureau, doing most of their work off the bureau. So that draft. That was a draft I was in, which I was a no-namer. But that draft yielded them, in a second round, Alan Trammell, Hall of Fame. Wow. Uh, Danny Petrie, fourth round, was an awfully good big league pitcher. I think he won 20 games one year. Um, Fifth round, you ready for this? Jack Morris, Hall of Fame. Tenth round, Ozzie Smith, Hall of Fame. Now, they didn't sign Ozzie, but that was their draft. Wow. So tell me the importance of scouting. you got three Hall of Famers. In one draft, one draft. You're lucky to get one Hall of Famer in a 20 year period, right? That, that's amazing. And again, LaJoy, he just to wrap it up here a little bit with uh, actually one other thing I want to ask you, but LaJoy just in 2000, I forget what year it was, uh, again, back to Theo. Um, Theo was upset up in Boston and left in a gorilla suit for a few days because he was fighting with Larry over something. <laughs> and um, um, and LaJoy and Capstein were running the team for, for a short period of time. But that's when that's when they traded um, for Josh Beckett because Theo didn't want to make that trade. And they they had Lowell, Mike Lowell thrown into that trade as well. And lo and behold, they win a World Series. So there's a lot of layers of uh, when you're putting guys in the Hall of Fame as executives, you got to know the whole story. And, and behind all these stories, my point is there's good scouting. There's good scouting. And, uh, you know, because uh, uh, also I think it was someone else who got Ortiz for the Red Sox, not Theo. Um, you know, it was one of their Latin guys uh, demanded he be signed because at the time they signed Jeremy Giambi. So, again, all the credit in the world, Theo's got two, you know, he broke two, two curses, good for him. But there's uh, there's more many layers to his story, and uh, that's what scouting brings. And lastly, you mentioned his name, but Bill Livesey, uh, just tell us a little bit about Bill Livesey and uh, working for him and what that was like. Bill, Bill Livesey, um, he, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I left Seattle. I had a year left on my contract, and I was not happy with how some things were going uh, between scouting and the general manager, which was Woody Woodward at the time. And I asked Woody, I said, you know, I'm a little concerned of what we're doing and blah, blah, blah. And he wasn't real happy with my with me saying that. And I said, look, I got a year left on my contract. I said, will you give me five days to, to uh, find another job and I'll, and I'll leave. And he says, okay, I'll give you five days. So I called Bill Livesey and I called Bob Engel, who was at Toronto. I had tremendous respect for both of them. And uh, 
Bob says, I, I can get back to you in a couple of days. And Bill said, Bill hired me right there. Wow. Right on the, right on the spot. I didn't have to go any further. So, um, Bill was, um, was a true Yankee. Um, basically he was a coach at, I believe Eckerd college there in St. Pete and then came over on board, worked his way up with the Yankees. Um, totally unafraid to, to spend George, George's money aggressive. Let's go get the best guys. If we take them low in the draft, we'll get them. He was really the first guy that focused on players out of, and that's why I came on board out of Japan and out of Cuba. He says, if we can get the best guys out of Japan and Cuba, because we can't, we can't get the top guys in a draft because we're going to end up being a first division team. We could at least get the top international guys. And so he, um, he hired Rudy, Rudy Santini, who, who ran the Cuban market for a couple of years. Um, and he hired me to do Japan. So um, Bill, was, Bill was real big on big guys. You know, Yankees have to be big. And some of that was, you know, George is. I uh, still you know, do it to this day. You're right. Yeah. yeah. To this day, they're big. I mean, you, know, you look at the, the the next one coming, Jones. Is it Jones, the big outfielder? Yeah. He's Southern California, San Diego kid, I think. Yeah. yeah. Spencer, Spencer Jones. Great yes. kid from what I hear. I, mean, I, he's know. Stand, he's, I see pictures of him and he's right next. Right next to that monster from the Bay Area, <laughs> I was like these these guys have been perfect for Bill. So Bill was a great guy to work for. He he gave you the tools to do your job. He stayed out of your way, and uh, he was real big on promoting young kids. I, I loved Bill. No, uh, and that's why that's why there was so much success there. And uh, that's a great point too about the uh, if you're not going to get the draft picks uh, top of the draft. Because that's that you know that's the game plan now for most of these teams. Let's think for four years. Yeah, exactly. Let's capitulate, capitulate and yeah, and play then, poorly and then get top draft. Bill, you know, Bill doesn't get credit. You know, Bill left before we won our championships, but Bill doesn't get credit. I mean, he was the one that was in charge when we got Mariano Rivera, Pettit, Jeter, uh, Bernie Williams. Um, you know, I mean, those were all those were all part of his his deal. So he had. He had a bit, he should have got a ring. He should have got rings when we got rings in 96 and 98. He really great should. Point. Yeah, great point. And, and, uh, and like much like the, uh, the Wiedemeyer story from, from Bill's tree, a lot of scouts came from too. So that's, that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of. Well, we, Wiedemeyer worked for Bill. There you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah. It's amazing the connections. But, uh, yeah, great job, Gordon. I really enjoyed talking to you. Great stuff. Uh, great insight. And, uh, I'll throw it back to Dave. Yeah. Hey, one, I got one small one for you. And we, we, we love scouts on our network here. We believe it's the lifeblood of the sport. What am I missing? Every other vocation around the professional game of baseball is in the hall of fame. When are we going to get some scouts in there? That's uh, Kevin would probably have better answers. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I've got a lot of suggestions. Um, and, um, I think it would be good for the game. I, I remember when we won in 96 in, uh, Lynn Garrett and I were somewhere and we had our rings on probably a restaurant bar. And the guy said, wow, those are beautiful rings. What do you, what do you guys do for the Yankees? And then says we're, we're scouts. And the guy said, scouts get rings. <laughs> and Lynn goes, how do you think, what do you, how do you think the players get signed? We're the ones that start the whole deal. And it was yeah. kind of, kind of like he was mad, but th- there's a point that the, the guy, you can't get signed unless a scout signs you. So it starts the whole process. So uh, it's great. I, I hope one day, I hope one day, you know, Gillick is kind of the scout that's in the hall of fame, but you know, Gillick's fame is really more as a, as a general manager than, than as a scout. But 
it, it would be nice to see. I mean, if we can, if we can, if we can, no knock, Kevin, we can have sports writers in and we can have. Oh, I agree. Empires in and, yeah. you know, uh, Bud Selig is in. I mean, I, I, I think managers that, I think, and you actually manage, uh, you, you played for Jim Leland before anybody knew him. So yeah. Jim's yeah. going in this year. So it's, I agree a hundred percent. It's, I have friends at the hall of fame. Next time I talk to them, I'm going to ask them about it, but it's, uh, it's a uh, scouts sort of lifeblood and, and, um, you know, and they they make it fun, and they and for reporters too. You know, you you build relationships with scouts, and you, it makes you a better reporter. I don't know if player if uh, reporters do that as much as they used to, because everything is metrics now. And I know even at my paper, our beat guy was George King, and you know, you knew George for a long time. I knew, yeah, I knew George very well. Yeah, yeah. So. George was George was. Um... He was one of the guys I could trust. If you know, I mean, he called me and I said, "George, I can't. I'll tell you this, but you can't. Right. You can't repeat it. You know." Right. And he always he always helped too. The I, I I had a lot of good friends with uh, sports writers. Um, and you know, and, and George, looking back, George Steinbrenner did too. He called and talked. Oh, to you guys absolutely. Half the time when stories were they came from George. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he would accuse us of leaking stuff, and it was him the one leaking it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a it's a special time, and uh, again, thanks a lot. Uh, hey, thank you. I yeah, appreciate it. Great, and just hang on here for our last until uh, we all sync up. And uh, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, Gordon, hang on just for a second. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today, and we appreciate uh, just the way you paint the picture for our audience. Seventy thousand subscribers. Uh, thank you to the Hall of Famer Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer. Make sure you hit him up on Ball Nine. Read those articles twice a week. They're tremendous. You won't be disappointed ever. And you'll reread them because you'll find you'll re, you'll see different things every single time. To all of our sponsors, I read you in the be, I read them in the beginning. Go back and make sure our audience is supporting those sponsors. All all of you, 70, 74 countries, we appreciate it. Um, with that, episode four seventy, the real voice of the game, coaching Kernan in the books, Gordon Blakely. Thanks so much. Thank you. When that shark bite with his teeth, baby, scarlet billows. Start to spread Fancy glows though Where's old Maggie Heath be? So there's never Never a trace of red Now on the sidewalk 